I guess the goal for this for this attempt is to avoid Homestuck. <laughs> yeah, talk about Homestuck less. Talk about Homestuck less is a, no, is a good place, yeah. I have become that annoying adult who only talks about their job, but my job is Homestuck, so... <laughs> that's the thing, yeah. It's... It, that, yeah, that's the that's the problem. Is like the 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 weird internal homestuck shenanigans about like shipping and all these weird head cannons and things. It's like that's kind of part of your fucking job. Yeah, it kind of bleeds into everything I do, which I guess it, it, I, I think that happened to me even before I was getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's great now that I get paid to be obsessed with homestuck. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I guess we could talk. We could talk about uh, we were going to talk about cyberpunk. Yeah. So basically, I want to give you, if if you want to, I want to give you more of an opportunity to talk about like your experience of your gender. Okay. Like like coming coming out just because that was something that you had talked about a little bit, and when I was reviewing our original recording, I realized that. I was so excited to talk about things that were completely unrelated to that that I just sort of like <laughs> brigaded that entire conversation. It's okay. Uh, so if that's something you would you want to talk about, because like you were you were exploring, like I've never talked about this before, and I was like, cool, let's talk about something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I yeah, I haven't really talked too much about it. Um, actually, the, I had not ever really thought of myself as anything but cis until. About this time last year, mm-hmm. when I started listening to a podcast called the Penumbra Podcast, I don't know if you've heard yeah, any I've of li- it. I've listened to a little bit of it at your recommendation. Yeah. Um, and the main character of it, his name is Juno Steele, and he is a bisexual detective from Mars, which is a, uh, so it's like cyber kind of cyber and it is cyberpunk too because it is does have your basic like the villain is capitalism and um it's about like a small group of people fighting it um yeah so it's about a yeah juno is uh uses he him pronouns and he presents pretty mask like if you look at the official art of him he has short hair he wears masculine clothes and stuff but he does he calls himself a lady Mm. And he is canon canonically non-binary and he'll his friends will say things like to bartenders, I'll have what the lady's having and stuff like that. And he'll just kind of yeah, he'll just refer. He'll be like, it reminded me of my old wedding dress and just stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And then everybody basically just accepts that he's a lady and you you have to treat Juno Steele like a lady. Um, And he's the there's a pretty much a. James Bond pastiche later there's an episode called The Train from Nowhere and Juno is the Bond girl pretty much um which is really cool and it gave me like this and I I, of course I knew this that like gender is fake (laughs) kind of like but I I, always when I'd thought of myself as like being non-binary I always like part of my brain would be like, no, you'd have to change the way you dress and you'd have to change how you refer to yourself and you'd have to change your name or something like that. But I was like, oh, I could just keep my pronouns and I could just dress the way I've always dressed, which is presenting fairly femme. Um, I mean, I have short hair, but I wear a lot of dresses and stuff. And I was like, but wait, I've never really connected really with being a woman. Like whenever anyone calls me a woman, it feels kind of discordant. Mm. And I had to, I just did this like momentary, like let's do it. I was at work. I remember it. I was like, let's do a, 
let's do an experiment to see how it feels. And I was like, let me just look at myself in the mirror and think of not think of myself as a woman. And I like instantly liked how I looked so much better. It's like when I didn't hold myself to the standard of what a woman is supposed to look like, scare quotes. Yeah. I, I just felt so much better about myself. Because I wasn't like looking at like, oh, your eyebrows are too thick. Uh, you didn't remove the hair from your upper lip. Your hair's not, you know, I, I like my hair short, but there's still a part of me that's always like, well, eventually I'll have to grow out my hair again. Yeah. But like, I just like stopped thinking about that. And it was like really relaxing. <laughs> so that's so cool. Yeah. And it's like I. I don't know it, and I always have felt like, and I felt like this about when I like realized that I was bi, um, I felt kind of like I was like intruding on someone else's party. Like, mm. I'm like, oh, hi guys, I'm trans too. Um, but then I read, well, I mean, not to talk about Homestuck, but I read uh, Roxy's monologue in Meet about how she feels like that it's like greedy of her to now want to have a gender too. Like, and I was like, Oh my God, I've never resonated with something so much. It's very good. The way that Roxy is treated in the epilogues is excellent gender wise, because it shows that between the two paths, there's a different, these, these things like sociological factors do come into play when it comes to gender identity. Right. Environment, I think, is, yeah, hugely important. And I think that that was like one of the writers, V, really, really wanted to do a storyline that involved that that kind of called out this sort of true scum like you're born if you're not born trans you're not trans kind of if you haven't known and if you don't have dysphoria and if you don't and it's or if you realize too late it's like gender so based on so many different factors sorry i'm waiting for a plane to pass over here <laughs> which is a, a, a moot audio quality thing on my part because my ac is going to kick on eventually yeah and I'm not turning that off because it's almost like 95 degrees outside. Yeah, that's how it'd be in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in American, in the American South, y'all get AC in the background. Sorry. Yep, basically. So uh, welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. And with me today is Aisha Yufara. Hello, Aisha. Hello. <laughs> we did a bit of a cold open here, but uh, that's okay because it was a good conversation. Yeah. Cold open, Juno Steel cold open. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very appropriate. My icon. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you just published a novelette by the yes. name of Puss in Heels. I did. And it's really good and kind of kind of disturbing. Mm hmm. It's what I aim for. Really good and kind of disturbing. Yeah. Uh, all of the fiction of yours that I've read sort of hits that really well. Uh, really good, kind of disturbing, very gay. That's sort of the three the three pillars of your fiction so far. <laughs> That's what I try for. <laughs> so uh, what's uh, what's what's Puss in Heels about? What's what's this what's this little book you made? So Puss in Heels is a fairy tale retelling. It's a retelling of Puss in Boots. And um, it is a, it's a cyberpunk kind of dystopian setting. 
uh, about a guy named Mills whose rich aunt has just died and left his uh, older siblings, her house and her cars, respectively, and left him a busted sex droid with cat ears and no feet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And uh, he brings it home and eventually he gets it a nice pair of heels and some stuff starts happening from there. Uh, mm-hmm. Some interesting developments. <laughs> yes, uh, very interesting developments. This this uh, this book is not uh, for general audiences. This is a pretty pretty hard eighteen plus. Yeah, and um, it's very good. It's one of those. I wished that it was longer, which I don't find myself doing very often. Well, there is going to be a sequel. Ah, that's good to hear. Yeah, my actually, my publishers asked me to write a sequel even after before it came out. I think they had confidence in it, and that's kind of I think that I don't want to call it yet, but it might be their best selling debut. I'm not sure. Oh wow, I may be making that up. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, you've got the you've got the power of the entire Homestuck fandom at your back. Yeah. So <laughs> finally, Homestuck did something for me. Finally, yeah. <laughs> finally, Dirk Strider did something for me. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to talk too much about that because you've talked about it a lot. You did an episode of Intermission, which is a perfectly generic podcast thing that was just about going into much more detail about Puss in Heels uh, that I think is I listened to it and I thought like, oh, that's this entire conversation that I kind of wanted to have that you've already <laughs> had. So I'll just say go listen to that episode of that podcast and we'll move on to something else, which is that this book definitely takes place in a sort of cyberpunk adjacent kind of world. Right. And we can talk about what our personal definition of what cyberpunk is, but you and I both have been discoursing about cyberpunk lately because of a little video game some people might have heard of uh, (laughs) named after the genre uh, quite audaciously that made me so tired (laughs) yeah i'm 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 already tired i mean i literally am already tired i didn't sleep i got way too drunk last night which is a cyberpunk kind of mood isn't it yeah it's the it's the epic cyberpunk mood it's the you being an epic divorce man and getting way too drunk the two cyberpunk (laughs) moods yeah yeah so i kind of want to just talk about what cyberpunk means to us and why why do we think that this uh, gigantic budget video game is not quite hitting the mark based on the pre-release materials that right. we have witnessed with our eyes? Right. I mean, I can't really call it because I haven't played the game because it hasn't right. come out yet. Um, and I probably will watch a playthrough just because of Keanu. But um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Keanu, if you're listening, please come to my be in my video game instead. Keanu Reeves, noted listener of this podcast, yeah, yeah. Um, please uh, <laughs> contact me, and I will forward your information uh, to Aisha's people, yeah. and they will they will decide whether or not uh, it's a it's a good request. Anyway, yes. Oh God, I was thinking about that because my people is pretty much Andrew Hussey, so I'm trying to imagine <laughs> Andrew Hussey meeting Keanu Reeves. I th- actually think they would get along pretty well. Now that I think about okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so for me, first of all, cyberpunk is kind of, a, for me, it's a mood 
kind of because mm-hmm. things I I pick stories that I like and things I want to write kind of completely based on the tone that it makes me feel or 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 that I want to convey. And I think that a lot of cyberpunk for me is like a distinctly kind of noir tone, even though I I guess that's not required. But I guess it is more because um, it tends to be about, for me, like people who are pretty down and out, people who have been through a lot. And I guess cyberpunk, it also requires some sort of anti-establishment element. So if you don't have that, like the the actual definition of cyberpunk originally is like punk. It's like anti-government, usually pretty, like a lot of anarchy kind of undertones, I think, but just very like if you have something that is just kind of promoting the status quo of anything, it's not cyberpunk. Yeah, for me, cyberpunk has a lot to do with um, generally anti-establishment. I think of it in terms of anti-corporation because a lot of cyberpunk stories are set in a world where like government in a publicly facing way basically doesn't exist anymore and everything is run by corporations, which is a a far off dystopia that I certainly can't imagine, thankfully. (laughs) And um, I, I, I see it as like a cyberpunk story where you're not sort of seeing things from the ground level of somebody who's just like a wash in the system and has no you're very you're right that it's it's very much a mood of of like disenfranchisement and just sort of stuck in hyper capitalism and being surrounded by marketed solutions to every single problem right like like Oh, you have uh, you have this you have this issue. Well, buy this this object, and it will it will fix you. And these things range like there's you know, sex bots are a thing. There's servants for absolutely everything, in um, uh, basically commodification of every aspect of human existence. And a, a lot of cyberpunk, the, a lot of the the best that I've uh, experienced is like about how the soul can't really thrive under those conditions. Right. And how I I tend to lean into this this feeling of like very very powerful resistance and like going straight for the throat. But there is absolutely a place for like the nihilistic like there's nothing that I can do in this system kind of thing. Right. Pretty pretty much all the cyberpunk that I write is kind of like you said, that street level view of somebody trying to maneuver through it um, and trying and failing to various degrees. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the things like, yeah, Puss in Heels is cyberpunk. Um, I wrote I've written a detective story that hasn't been published yet because everybody wants me to make the character into a strong female character. (laughs) But just the point is that she sucks. Like that's the like I'm like, I want her to suck. Sorry. Yeah, that and that is that strong characterization, though, is the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I remember a guy who was like, I want her to be sexy and breathlessly competent. And I was like, I want you to never talk to me again, (laughs) was my response. I want you to be breathless and in the ground. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then I wrote a like cyberpunk, uh, like Sherlock Holmes pastiche sort of with with another thing with a robot. Um, 
And that involved like a sure the character of Sherlock Holmes and that was addicted to um uh the the net, like into hooking themselves up to the internet and stuff. because uh, because uh, mm-hmm. the underlying themes in a Sherlock Holmes story, I think is like misanthropy and addiction. <laughs> so absolutely. Which yeah. is very cyberpunk, I think. Yeah. I think the other big thing for cyberpunk as a genre is like body modification. Yes. And one of the, the freedoms of this sort of hyper capitalist future is, is the ability to basically swap out parts for yourself and kind of customize your your own personal meat rig to right. however you want it to be. And in that comes the sort of weird, like, in, in a system that is trying to control absolutely everything, there are always weaknesses and backdoors that smart folks can exploit. Right. And so that naturally explains why, like, hackers are such a big part of, like, the cyberpunk mythos, because... Uh, I mean, even in um, even in Puss in Heels, you've got a character with a with a robot arm who she's she's very much like a working person who is very into understanding how robots work and and modifying them and sort of potentially not not quite legally modifying them and doing doing things in interesting ways. Right. And I think as far as body modification goes, that sort of naturally makes cyberpunk kind of a trans mood, yes. sort of a trans genre, because a lot of it has to do with uh, overcoming the flesh and saying like, well, if, if we've if we've commodified the body and gender, then one of the only ways that you can resist is to sort of transcend not even just what we understand as the human body, but to transcend what we might even understand as the, the human species. Right. And I think the big, yeah, I think the big problem that so far, and I, I know that like I'm definitely, lots of people have pointed this out already for the cyberpunk video game, is just like the idea of like the more modified you get, the less human you are. Yeah. And like it makes you, you, and I was like, hmm, don't like that. Especially because the the creators seem to have completely misinterpreted what I think is the best a piece of um of cyberpunk media there is which is ghost in the shell and ghost in the shell is completely about the fact that you can still be it's like where how can you still be a human if your body is still is completely synthetic and that's what it's about like that's what ghost in the shell means a soul in a body like what is a human and the main character have you've seen that movie i assume yeah absolutely yeah and i mean the main character of that the major she's bisexual but we don't like it's part of the mythos that you don't know what her original body was like you don't know her gender identity really past the fact that she uses a female body a female right. presenting body um and she has a really strong sense of humanity and a sense of morality but she's completely artificial yeah, that's the most interesting. One of the more interesting questions for me is what makes you human? What is the fundamental uh, nature of, of, of our experience that's like outside that can't be commodified or even necessarily quantified? And when I see 
footage of Cyberpunk 2077, what I'm seeing is a game that is very much a video game that's a power fantasy. Every bit of like they they've insisted since E3 that you'll be able to play this game nonviolently. You won't have to, you won't be forced to kill ever, I guess, although they've said that there will be combat situations that you'll have to think your way out of or whatever. And I'm still frustrated because in every bit of footage that I've seen, like there's a gun in the foreground. You're, yeah. you're holding a gun. I'm sure you can holster it or what the fuck ever. But when when the primary method of interacting with the world is a reticle that's implied to be like targeting for some form of violence. Right. Uh, that's, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Have you, you, I assume you've seen H-Bomber Guy's video about why he hates Fallout 3. Oh, yes. Yeah, I just watched it recently and I've, and I've, and it's kind of articulates the reason that I don't like open world games way better than I ever have been able to myself because they tell you, they try to, they say that it's going to be all about choice, but in the end, it's always just murder. Yes. You don't get to choose whether it's like, how do you murder these people are the choices usually? Yeah, it's 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 about violence and it's about a power fantasy. It's it's the freedom is the freedom to become as powerful as you've ever wanted to be. And a lot of that has to do with the intended audience, which is like 18 to 30 something cis white men. Yeah. And I can't help but feel that that's sort of the audience that Cyberpunk 2077 is playing to. Yeah, of course. And nothing, nothing in the gameplay that I've seen so far is really that different from something like Deus Ex Human Revolution. It's right. just like on, on a larger scale, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Also, to me, it just doesn't it, it like the animation and like the graphics and like the choices aesthetically are boring to me. It's like very shiny. And it's very like every I don't know, it's very bright, which to me seems kind of like a weird choice. I'm like, it's cyberpunk. Where's the bisexual lighting? Mm -hmm. Um, That's (laughs) cyberpunk's just purple in my brain. Also, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't seem to have any kind of mood, which is like really, really key for me for um, for cyberpunk flavor. Um, and I think that that you need to have like a good sense of grip of storytelling in order to create that. And of course, I haven't played the game yet, so I could just be completely talking out of my ass here. But it, like I have nothing of what I've seen makes me want to play it. Yeah, there have been a number of weird sort of things coming out of it that that have me a little bit nervous. There's obviously the social media manager who said, oh, did you just assume my gender? Uh, which I believe that person got fired for that whole gaffe. Hmm. There's also uh, there's an advertisement that you see in some of the E3 footage, I think, that uh, shows it's like an it's it's an advertisement for some energy drink that has woman with an extraordinarily large penis bulging through her clothes. Also, it's weird that like I think it's backwards. That was another mm-hmm. thing I noticed. Like, why is, like, her dick backwards? Oh, God, I didn't it, even notice it, that. It that is. makes sense. It's like, yeah. I'm like, mm, whoever drew this mm, is maybe used to looking at their dick from a different direction. Well, so here's <laughs> the thing, is that one of the people on the art team for, for, for Cyberpunk, I guess, did an interview, I think, with Kotaku, talking about that particular piece of art and said that, and, and this, I believe that it was a woman who actually drew this. And she said that they're going for a world which is hypersexualized 
And part of that involves like this over like like this cartoonishly oversaturated sexuality in advertisement, which, you know, is sort of a natural endpoint of what we see today. Right. And so I've been trying to I've been chewing on this a little bit. And I think for me, the issue is uh, having that just sort of show up in the game and your pre-release footage without the context of the rest of the narrative is not necessarily the best optics. Right. And the thing is, we're all sort of jumping to conclusions here based on a game that isn't out yet and won't be for a while. But I guess for me, I, I, I'm, I'm sick of these gigantic, overlong, open-world narratives I want a cyberpunk story set in a small, like, yeah, okay, it's in a giant city, but it, it's, y- 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 I personally barely ever leave my goddamn bedroom, and I am far more interested in the life of somebody who is, like, trying to make a difference in the world who doesn't have combat training. Right. I did a I did a, a Twitter thread a while back that's like my ideal cyberpunk 2077 protagonist is like this person who went went to law school but dropped out and calls their mom on the weekends and just tries to make ends meet doing like their version of Uber and is also a crack combat specialist with knives for hands. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the sort of thing is that like okay, you've got all of this great role playing things you can do but then you also have the ability to get knives for hands and guns that you have i don't know just the the violent aspect frustrates me and i get that it's a big video game we're getting off topic here now i'm just bitching about cyberpunk 2077 i mean i think that like so for one thing i'm not trans femme so i like didn't really i felt like it wasn't really my place to say anything about that poster Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I, I do like the idea of like normalizing the normalizing the side of girls with dicks. I think that's great, but like in the context of it, it was very like, so if this story is, you know, trans friendly and doesn't sort of push the idea that this sort of, that this kind of thing is like deviant, like the, the the vibe of the 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 advertisement to me was like ooh look at this like shocking deviancy here it's just like when you change your bo- you mod your body kind of like which is bad according to our story that's the vibe it gave me yeah yeah and there's also the fact that you can switch when you when you create your character at the start uh you pick between man and woman right you can't just like be like what you can't just build them from. Yeah. And they say, oh, but it's OK because you have like y- y- you can be as bisexual as you want in playing the game. There are romance options with uh, a whole cornucopia of, of people. But my thought is like, well, if, if if it doesn't really matter what your gender is in terms of the like if, if they're both fully voiced or whatever, why not have Instead, just a series of body sliders that lets you sort of create your own NB disaster person. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 the idea of enforcing a gender binary at the very start of your game is already like, you're losing me a bit with your cyberpunk here because a whole, a whole lot of it is like transgressing 
the last few boundaries that you can. Uh, and my thought is like, if that's, I don't Yeah, no, I know I what you know. mean. It's yeah. like, you look at this and I'm like, y'all basic is, is what I'm trying to say. This is for people who want to <laughs> feel edgy, but like, don't actually want to like, um, challenge their own views on the world. That's like, that's my, ma- that's my problem with all mainstream edgy content. It's my problem with Game of Thrones. It's my problem with so many things. I'm like, y'all, this is for people who want to pretend that they are edgy. <laughs> yeah. When I look at the, like the body mass of the two characters that we've seen, and I guess we don't know the extent of the, the customization or whatever, but you look at the body mass and it's like you start with either big, burly BJ Blaskowitz or a thin, dainty, busty uh, femme Captain Shepard from Mass Effect. Yeah. And it's like those are the two extremes. Uh, where's like your your rail thin, emaciated guy or your overweight person? Yeah. Like, that's the other thing is there doesn't seem to be a ton of like body diversity in, in the NPCs. And that's just frustrating. Hey everybody, just going to take a quick few minutes to tell you about a couple of other podcasts on the Lunar Light Studio Network. First is Artificial Ghost Radio. Artificial Ghost Radio is a comedy podcast where every week Miles and Mars recommend each other songs and see where the conversation takes them. Each episode has a theme and the first two songs the hosts bring relate to that theme. The last two songs they bring are new favorites that they have something to say about. Miles also often brings various segments to spice up the show. Artificial Ghost Radio can be found on the Lunar Light Studio Network or wherever you get your podcasts every Saturday. Next up is Deck of Friendship. Deck of Friendship is a podcast where Every week, your hosts Marble, Ray, and Mars review an episode of an anime based on a real-life game and talk about their themes and cultural importance while proclaiming their love of friendship and try to make each other laugh. They are currently running through the first season of Yu-Gi-Oh! and have plans to take on shows like Bakugan, Card Fight, Digimon, and more. Deck of Friendship can be found on Lunar Light Studio every Tuesday or wherever you get your podcasts. And friends, if you would like a message of your very own to be read in this little ad slot in future episodes of this or any other podcast on the Lunar Light Studio Network, you can go to LunarLightStudio.com slash incoming dash transmission, where you can buy personal or business transmissions, little plugs to put into the episode of the podcast you like. Personal transmissions are a maximum of 350 characters and are $25. Business transmissions are a maximum of 500 characters and are $50. Do you want to propose to your loved one on my podcast? It'll only cost you $25, which is a steal considering how much the institution of wedding costs you. Do you want to promote your homemade artisan small batch microbrew lubricant on this very show? I'll do anything for $50. Not that I'm judging anything you would do with lubricant. There's no judgment here. This is a safe place for all of your sexual deviancies. Well, I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like a pretty convincing argument vis-a-vis giving me money to promote your stuff, so why don't you give us money to promote your stuff? With all that out of the way, let's get back to the show, and next you're going to hear me realize in real time that I was saying something kind of fatphobic and gross and ableist, so have fun with that. Like, 
like the whole point of cyberpunk is sort of like going beyond the body. So it's like it doesn't really make sense to only have a certain kind of body type being like only X type of body type can do this. It's like, mm, that's not the point of this whole situation. Like it, not not that like, you know, there are fat athletes and, you know, stuff like that. But it's it's so weird to just be like we're going to we're going to have all these options for like transcending humanity but we're going to like not do the most obvious ones because that might be political. Right. Well, and and you say there's not like fat athletes and like well in a world of of intense body modification where it's proliferated to the point of that you can't let the genie out of the bottle, there could be fat athletes. Yeah. I mean, there's like, fat athletes in our li- in our world. <laughs> This is true. Yeah, it's. But I mean, like, I'm. Yeah, the you could see all sorts of things that are we 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 don't think of as possible being made possible through body modification, right? And there's such an interesting level of question. I don't know why when I thought of when I when I sorry I'm like I'm I'm doing two thought threads at once, and one of them is like. Uh, why is it that when I said athletes, I was only thinking of like Olympic runners? Like right. that's just one athlete of many. Right. Like, what am I doing? <sighs> and these are these little it's assumptions not, I mean, that you have in your brain. It's just like branding. It's like, so what what kind of athletes do we see on TV? Skinny ones. Mm-hmm. So like, that's mm-hmm. what you think of when you think of it's just like you think of a certain kind of person. And that's like. That's how they get you. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think a lot of like really inventive science fiction generally, but also cyberpunk, the, the author will be aware of these little assumptions and play on them to some extent. Because I, I, I think in general, we have this like functional fixedness about who does what and what things are for which right. in, in, our, in our daily lives. And there, there are so many ways these things could be disrupted if, if we only had the imagination. And I guess that's what it comes down to is the imagination in this, this game feels lacking. Yeah. I mean, it, it's meant for a broad audience, I think, or, a, or a, a mainstream audience. So it's not I feel like cyberpunk is naturally it's like it's a it's a niche of science fiction. So it was in, t- in initially intended for like a smaller like and it's it's weird it's like when bits of sci-fi start proliferating into the mainstream they they do these really basic things that then everyone's like oh it's so innovative like i remember having this conversation with my dad who is a science fiction writer and has been since the 70s um Mm. i remember talking about when inception came out and everybody loved it so much And we saw it and we were both kind of like and my dad was just like deeply not impressed because he's like science fiction writers have been doing this exact thing since the 70s. Like, what if (laughs) dreams were real? Like and he this is like he has books that are about that and like wrote that in like the 80s. So like but everybody's like, oh, wow, look at this new idea. And it's like Inception's a fine movie. I wish it wasn't all just about shooting guns. But like um, the idea behind it is cool, but it's also just like not original. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the yeah. Also how I felt about Stranger Things. Oh, God. I was like, this is just like. Very basic. 
<laughs> like, yeah, uh, almost all of the most successful science fiction tends to be extraordinarily basic, right? Which is an unfortunate, just sort of side effect of of like mass mass audience appeal, right? I, I mean, and not to plug my own stuff here, but I think that oh, Hive, do. Hive Swap and Hive Swap Friend Sim, the games that I work on. Um, are way more cyberpunk than whatever 2077 is trying to be. Oh my lord, yes. Uh, Hive Swap Friend Sim is an excellent whistle-stop tour of a bunch of people stuck in a world that is trying to control uh, every aspect of their lives and like rigidly define who they are based on the color of their blood and like shows attempts at resistance within the system and like different shades of it and how these people interact. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of very brilliant. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Friendsome. <laughs> right. And I mean, Hive Swap proper itself, too. Like it, you haven't really you've seen shades of it in Act One, but it'll come into focus even more in act two like the idea of yeah like this small group of people trying to fight against a kind of crushing force um which i think is kind of key to a certain kind of cyberpunk but yeah i was like and we you know we made this for very little money (laughs) um and it's not flashy but it's like i think immersive and it has the more of a, a mood more of the cyberpunk mood than a lot of like high budget. The the most like I guess this is also not like mainstream, but I think the most like Hollywood thing that I think is actually legit cyberpunk is The Fifth Element, which is one of my mm. favorite movies. Yeah, that movie that movie is interesting. I've seen it so many times. I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah. It's there, there is, hmm, I guess I hadn't really thought of it in terms of cyberpunk because aesthetically it's very, it doesn't have the same sort of like Blade Runner feel. Yeah, well, I, I feel like but, that it, it fits the, it, it doesn't have the noir element that I think that a lot of mm-hmm. cyberpunk has because of Blade Runner, I think. Blade Runner gave it, gave the genre that, that uh, feeling. Absolutely. Um, But it does have that sort of like everything is very advanced, but also falling apart like this sort of like grimy, like, you know how like air like the way airplanes look, which is like there are these these machines that fly through the air, but they're also like super retro looking because they're all from like the 70s and 80s, -hmm. the way our airplanes look. But like it looks like that, but like space. Like post like post civilization sort of like we've we've created all these incredible technologies, but they've also kind of fallen apart. Yeah. And it's it it, it is this sense of weird, like cultural uh, miscegenation of old ideas and new ideas sort of mixing in weird ways. And yeah, it is. Hmm. I gotta go rewatch the fifth element. Yeah, now. I haven't watched it in a long time, so I'm not sure how it's gonna hold up. Um, I mean, it's old, it's oldish, so it's not like at a, a quote unquote woke, probably. Yeah, it's got the the born sexy yesterday problem. Yeah, uh, but 
even still, I mean, I, I loved that movie growing yeah, up. Yeah, me too. I, like, also, Bruce Willis is incredibly funny, and I didn't know that until I saw that movie. Yeah, he's really, he's he's a lot of fun in that film. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what are some other really good examples of, not, not even necessarily, like, straight up and down cyberpunk, but things that fit that mood? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I showed you this yesterday, and this is kind of a deep cut, but there is a... My, my favorite piece of cyberpunk writing is a years is maybe a from 2011, maybe a piece of Homestuck fan fiction called the Vienna game. And it is a cyberpunk AU that takes place on Alternia, which is the Homestuck alien homeworld. And it just, especially the first half, which is about two characters trying to dethrone the empress through like shenanigans through like hacking basically um and it just has the most cyberpunk vibe of anything i've ever read and it's so hard to recommend to people because you need the homestuck the the homestuck extended universe knowledge but um yeah yeah like actually there's a little bit i have right here that would it be okay for me to read aloud this just like oh is the vibe for me yeah please do um yeah this is from the vienna game which is by paratactician i did not write this (laughs) um he woke just past midnight from a dream of falling into the ocean took a shower for the sweating and a cigarette for the shakes and knew from experience there was nothing he could do about the headache The shower hissed and sputtered and spilled pale brown water over cracked off-white ceramic tiles while the ceiling fan stirred the lazy air with dull swimmer strokes. Past midnight and it was still too hot for comfort. He pulled on tatty black jeans and a crumpled white cotton shirt in between taking sips from a fat enamel mug of coffee. The coffee tasted of soap. The street outside the hive stem was rain-swept and nearly empty. Three rust-blood kids with hollow eyes watched him from on top of a wall, heads turning slowly as he passed, like cameras. The drizzle beaded on his cheap plastic coat and mottled his shades. He smelt gasoline, fried food, and petrichor. Argon floods on the tenement walls glistened off the puddles in the air. Even the trash can seemed to sweat. And I was like... That makes me. That's like the vibe. That's a that's a very strong vibe. Yeah. I When I read that last night, uh, I had a thought, and it, it just came careening back. The notion of petrichor on an alien world, yeah. fascinates me mm-hmm. because I, I was just immediately imagining writing from the perspective of somebody who's like, uh, and for on who's from earth who's on like the martian colony or whatever and there's there's rain and they smell well, like what's that smell oh that's petrichor but the petrichor smells differently here mm-hmm. and like the, the basic questions this is entirely different but it's just little details like that is excellent yeah i love i love the idea i love this like writing from getting to be involved in homesucks extended works because it, it it involves a lot of putting myself into the shoes of somebody writing from the perspective of an alien and it's like what are what are these tropes seen through a different species eyes which i think is really fascinating so like in on alternia they're nocturnal so they're out during the night so they don't have nightclubs they have day clubs right that's excellent so like graphing graphing tropes onto a different kind of society is always really interesting um like the the like the character of like Vriska is like a a club owner like a seedy club owner which I thought was like perfect and everyone calls her spider bitch (laughs) 
Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the connection between the uh, the the robot armed mm-hmm. bar tender yeah. and, and puss in heels yeah. is, is growing even more specific. Big Vriska. <laughs> I actually wrote that before I read Homestuck, but it does have a deep oh, wow. Homestuck vibes. I was what well, actually maybe that's not true. No, it wasn't. I uh, because I was very inspired by the Vienna game when I wrote. Like the vibe of Puss in Heels comes yeah. a lot from the Vienna game. Yeah. So shout out to Paratactician wherever you are. You probably don't care about Homestuck anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. What are some other... Uh, uh, one of the options that I was thinking of is a weird... I've been thinking about like how do you adapt the ideas of cyberpunk into something completely different. And so the film that popped into my brain was actually Michael Clayton of all things. I actually haven't seen that. It's one of my favorite films and it's a weird one because it's like, it's like a lawyer drama. Interesting. But it's um, basically George Clooney is a a fixer for a law firm. Uh, His job is to go in and try to smooth out like deals that are going poorly or like help out clients when they've, uh, like gotten into drunk driving accidents and need somebody to bail them out. Right. Uh, but he has a he has a friend who is like the head of this gigantic lawsuit against a um, an agrocorp that is is allegedly poisoning farmers and giving them cancer with their pesticides. And his law firm is on the defense for the uh, for the corporation. Yeah. And I wrote an essay about it, how it it, it it explores the ways that the, the corporation becomes this lo- looming organism that is trying to control everybody involved in the narrative. Right. And that there's like this sort of token sacrifice that it asks of everybody where it's like, I will give you. Uh, I, I will give you monetary security and like general safety if you give me your like empathy and your ability to give a shit about other people, basically. Right. And for being like a, a court, it's not it's not a courtroom drama. It's just sort of a law drama generally. But for being that, it is weirdly spiritual hmm. and tense. There's like themes of predestination and questions of destiny and the afterlife it's it's a beautiful beautiful movie uh, i did a video about cool. it I'll, I wanted, have, I'll have to watch it yeah i love it tilda swinton won an oscar for her performance in it which is wild because she's for being sort of the antagonist she's not in it for very long i love tilda swinton oh everybody loves tilda swinton she's beautiful she's wonderful um i have a, a cyberpunk story that i've always that i really want to do that's like kind of inspired by Michael Clayton in that regard. It, it, it's set in like a, a small Oklahoma town. Mm-hmm. Cause of course I'm, that's right. What you know, right. Uh, that's like a farming town that is being overtaken by like an agricorp basically, which is the thing that continues to happen. Yeah. Out in the Midwest of corporations, essentially buying up all the land around a town and then just sort of, making them into company towns and forcing people out. Uh, And I really want to see like a cyberpunk story set in one of these towns in like the near future, quote unquote, with a character who is gay, has a Southern accent and isn't made fun of their accent, uh, made of made fun of for their accent. And 
who both uses um, like their friends like hacking skills to put it in the, the 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 dumbest way possible to sort of undermine the overtures of this corporation, but also understanding that that is one prong of a multi-pronged sort of front of resistance and it's not even the most important one and the most important one is like collective action so a huge part of the narrative involves going door to door and talking to people and get over getting everybody on the same page and it being a community story and then i also just have this idea of the music being like uh what if synth wave of came to exist in a world where the only other genre of music was um uh, bluegrass. Oh, that's awesome. That's the sort of thing that I want to see because it's like taking like how do you make a cyberpunk story that div- divests of basically all of the visual hallmarks that we have of the genre and like boil it down to the spirit of the thing. Now that I'm thinking about it, a really good cyberpunk series that I wish more people were into is um the Sci-Fi Channel's uh show Killjoys, mm. which is um the main it's a it's Got a really good, like, cheesy, like, sci-fi, sort of low-budget vibe. And there's, like, pretty much all the hallmarks of a good cyberpunk show. It's about this, um, actually, the main character is a bisexual black woman. Um, who, oh, wow. Yeah, who's um, a killjoy, which is a, like, a, uh, a mercenary, kind of. Um, and... She her name's Dutch and her partner is just this guy. And they're uh, it's like the most important relationship in the story is between this man and this woman. But it's not romantic ever, um, which is really cool. Um, So and it's just it's very kind of like effortlessly diverse, like it doesn't feel tokeny at all. It just has like the like the the leader of this like shady information network is like a middle aged woman. Um, and the bartender is a, uh, gay person of color who's like an ex warlord. It's just like got some really cool, like stuff in it. Oh. And the main character, you should, you should, uh, uh, Google Dutch killjoys. She is gorgeous. I absolutely (laughs) will do this. But yeah, it's really, really fun show. Uh, it's got some evil space lesbians, which I'm uh, a fan of. Um, I, I, I adore, I do, I adore me some evil space lesbians. Mm-hmm. We, the world needs more evil space lesbians. Right. Yeah. Agreed. That's that's sort of the uh, for the for the Democratic primary. That's like the big hinge issue for me is is are you going to bring us evil space lesbians? Um, yeah. Not Medicare for all. That can. This is a dumb joke that I'm I, doing. I, I right feel now. you though. I mean, like first of all, first <laughs> of all, how many evil space lem- lesbians do you have? Second of all, what's your healthcare policy? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Beto. They're neck and neck. I don't know. The only place that I've seen a lot of really good, interesting cyberpunk or cyberpunk adjacent stories is in the in the the micro indie space of video games. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of like visual novels that are doing that. Like Hive Swap Friend Sim is one, 
and that seems to be like a natural fit for the genre. I agree. Because it's like so much of the tone is best captured in prose. Yes. Yes. And that feels like a big part of it. And I can't really think of a lot of like cyberpunk movies that really do the genre justice. Like even Blade Runner and like The Matrix have excellent elements, but ultimately fall short. And I think Blade Runner is kind of a shitty movie. Yeah, I agree. I I feel like that we've all been kind of like brainwashed by the culture to think that it's a good movie. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a great story. Mm -hmm. The movie, I feel like, I mean, it's cool to watch. And I think that like it's got a lot of like merits for it but it does like it it is the most like blatant and basic form of like othering exotic locales like all the sort of like just cribbing off of um asian uh aesthetics but then not casting any asian actors yeah this is actually the um oh uh sloth mom what's her name casey explosion on twitter did a thread about this exact thing, which is pointing out that cyberpunk of of the 80s is inextricable from xenophobia surrounding the coming uh, dominance of Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the general fear of the alienation one would feel uh, because Japanese culture had taken over everything as it's like... Uh, as its as its enterprise had expanded exponentially, right? And Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is doing that too, right? It's it's got like the Japanese like flavor, right? Yeah, and that is an element of of Cyberpunk that doesn't get in uh, uh, interrogated nearly enough. Yeah, because it's inherently like because so many cyberpunk stories are set in like it's la but everything is sort of japanese but where are all of the non-white people Ah, who knows yeah yeah i mean i have i think that it can be a really important element of of cyberpunk to have certain aesthetics but it's like you gotta fucking put some other people besides white people in there like, <laughs> yeah, you've got to you've got to put non-white people in there and you've got to think about why those aesthetics are part of the narrative. And that's one of the dangers of genre is it comes with like a playbook, but you can sort of lean into it too much without like interrogating which elements are really necessary for the story you're trying to tell. Right. Uh, and I mean, the thing is that there aren't any rules. Yeah, I have some like I have kind of a interesting relationship with the cultural appropriation argument because mm. i mean like full disclosure i'm my dad's side of the family's palestinian so um i often see people who will get like offended on the behalf of of certain people and it's like some some it's like i understand i don't want white people making money off of something that's like cribbing the style or the culture of another culture. But so often it seems like the debates get boiled down to only white people stuff is okay. And it's like, "Mm, 
don't like that either. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, I'm too scared to write about anything that's not a white American culture because somebody might say that I'm culturally appropriating. And it's like, this is not the way. Yeah, I think that's there's a lot of Internet discourses along those lines that are very simple, very Tumblr. Yeah. That it's it's you're introducing an, a problem, which I think is a legitimate question to ask. And then you're taking it to its absolute logical extreme, right. which is to say, if you can identify it as a trend, it must be inherently bad and therefore must be avoided at all right. costs. Right. Like seeing a white person wear like dish dash, like wear like the, the robe, mm-hmm. the look that that doesn't like offend me, doesn't offend my dad, because it's like this is just, you know, how people dress. It's not it's not religious garb. It's just, you know, a good outfit for the climate. Yeah, and it's a case-by-case basis because you do have people, like, legitimately appropriating uh, religious symbols. Uh, But generally speaking, cultural, like, saying that cultural appropriation is a bad thing is kind of tantamount to saying that, like, borders are okay and we need separate bubbles for our groups of people. Because the fact is that, like, human beings, we mix. Mm -hmm. Our, our, the English language is a culmination of basically every language. Uh, and just about, there's no pure language. There's no pure culture. Everything is a mishmash of a million other things. Right. Yeah, and you see this in like, in like myth building too. Like you see a lot of like people just wanting to tell myth retellings of Western fairy tales and stuff like that, because that feels more like, like, it's it's all been worked so far into the like American Western civilization kind of ethos that we feel like that everybody kind of feels like it's fair game to like separate it from its cultural roots. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I wish that there was more stories just like like um, sort of casual stories about like Arab myths and stuff like that. I just wish I could yeah. see more of that because like, you know, you do not see Arab people on TV. You see, maybe an Egyptian no. character. You do not. I have never seen a Palestinian character in anything in my life. Well, I, I can imagine a few reasons why that is, <laughs> <Yeah>. unfortunately. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so I'm like, write, write about Palestinians. I won't be offended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gosh. But of course, I can't speak for everyone, of course. So. No, and it's uh, the thing is, you're never going to be 100 percent right. And as a creator of literally anything, you kind of have to just resign to the fact that someone's going to call you out for being problematic. And on some level, you're going to have to just say, like, yeah, you're right. Right. Because making art involves taking risks, involves fucking up. And sometimes fucking up and succeeding happen at the same time. Right. I remember seeing this conversation and it always happens. It just goes over. It's just like a eternal cycle of this conversation after they did another one of the like the racism and homestuck or or artists of color um episodes of the p gen pod there's like people yeah. in there who like understandably are like what is the right way to write different races and it's like there's no right way dog you just have yeah. to like be thoughtful about it and try it and just like accept the fact that you were gonna fuck up and people are gonna call you on it and you're gonna be like okay you're right Cool. I'll try harder yeah. next time. Yeah, the right the right way is to 
do your research. And if people call you out on it, be humble. Maybe talk to a person who is that race. <laughs> yeah. Get, get some, get some, uh, get, get a beta reader. Get some who friends. Can, like, get some, make some friends. <laughs> yeah. F- find somebody who can read your dialogue and be like, oh, this is, uh, this is a, just a, just a touch stereotypical. Right. Um, and that's true of like, uh, different racial groups, different uh, d- different gender identities. Like there, there are stereotypes that are obvious and stereotypes that kind of fly under the radar. Right. And it's not necessarily your fault for fucking that up. Right. But and also I remember getting kind of me and then a couple of other homestucks of color got kind of incensed over a couple comments in the episode that were like, because they were kind of... Or just people in general dunk on the idea of ambiguously brown characters. And I'm like, you know, I'm ambiguously brown if you don't know where I'm from. A lot of mixed people are. So not not all real life people have like, you know, the same signifiers as everybody else. So it's like it's a complex argument. It's like, you know, there's no right answer. Which is just kind of like how everything is. Yeah, just like just like life in general, there isn't a right answer. And I think with that, that's sort of a good, ambiguous, uh, emotionally dis- unsatisfying note to end on. <laughs> yeah. It feels very appropriate for our cyberpunk conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, were we replicants the whole time? Who the knows? least interesting question. Yeah. So where can people find you, Aisha? Well, I am on Twitter at Aisha Ufara. Um, I also have a Discord that you can join if you pledge $1 to my Patreon. Um, it's fun. We have fun in there. Uh, yeah. Also, Puss in Heels is on sale on Amazon for a buck. Um, and we're, we're trying to, I'm trying to get it up there in, in the charts. So if you are interested in Catboy Robot, then check it out. It's a, yeah, it's a very good, uh, breezy read. I think it's like 48 pages. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a dollar. Mm Mm-hmm. You should you should read it. I'll put a link in the description. Um, please do yourself a favor and read this good little bit of fiction. Support support writers who don't have publishing deals with large publishers. Oh yeah, and my my publisher Carnation Publishing they um, only publish queer romance, um, and they specialize in um, publishing uh, fanfic writers, like people who've exclusively written fanfic beforehand. So. Check them yeah, out that's if, ex- if that's you. Absolutely. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for coming on to my show. This has been really fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. Links to everything discussed are in the description. Trans Questioning is hosted by the Lunarlight Studio Network, and if you would like to support us in our mission to create more diverse, independent media, then go to patreon.com slash lunarlighthq. There you'll have access to patron-exclusive live streams and various bonus materials and exclusive podcasts, of which I'm going to be a participant very soon, as well as get updates about the future of the 
Network and all of our amazing, wonderful little plans going forward. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, etc. that you want me to read or talk about on this show, send an email to transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com or send an anonymous message over at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning. For podcast-specific updates on Twitter, follow at transqpodcast. And for my personal Twitter, which is where I spend an inordinate and unhealthy amount of my time, go to at HMSNoFun. The cover art is by Dear Witch. The intro and outro music is by Zoestra. Thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast. That sounded like the beginning of a song from Hamilton. I will see you again in the future next week. Next week in the future. The future is next week, unless you're listening to this episode in the past, in which case it's probably in a few minutes. I'll see you then, uh, friend. Bye! Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. 